Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. So excited to have our guest with us today. Eric Danielson is a Midwestern journalist, essayist, poet, and the author of the foreword for my most recent book, Present, The Gift of Being All In. He writes about the intersections of culture, music, art, and faith. And for this week's episode, we're doing something a little different, and we're in for a real treat because he is here to talk to us about bird songs, not bird calls, not the songs that the birds themselves make, but songs with birds in them. Welcome, Eric. Hey, it's good to see you. I um, I, I just realized that, you know, I wrote the forward to the book. I think that means I should have talked first on the podcast. I should have introduced myself, but that's okay. We'll be fine. <laughs> it's all out of order now. It's yeah, all confusing. It's okay. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being with us. And I, I'm really, really grateful just to know you as a friend and as a person who I interact with on social media, because you are always putting new music artists on my radar. My music taste stalled in 2005 when I was a senior in college. I've learned nothing since then. Um, So you're this wonderful voice of, hey, here's this new thing, or hey, here's this old thing, or this old group that put out a new album. Um, How do you stay current with your musical tastes? Um, It's a combination of telling myself that I get paid to do that, even though I don't think they're actually paying me to do that. Um, so I can kind of follow different obsessions, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, um, I grew up, I'm old enough that I grew up in kind of the last gasp of good, like print music magazines. Um, and so I think like, I still rely a lot, um, even though most of that's moved online, rely a lot on music writers. I follow a ton of music writers on social media, so I'll see what they're interested in. Um, we'll kind of follow other artists that I like down their own rabbit trails. What, you know, when they post about what they're listening to or people that they're bringing on tour. Um, and then I'm kind of still, again, like this is just maybe a function of my age a little bit, but I'm kind of still a liner note guy. I know liner notes almost don't even exist anymore because, um, everything's on our phones, our computers, but like, I'm absolutely the guy who will look and be like, Oh, who played guitar on this? Well, I should go now listen to everything that they have done, you know? And so I'll have, I mean, I literally have, I could show you on my computer, like multiple notes in my notes app that are just like lists of bands, lists of albums that I want to work through. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just takes, uh, not to scare people off because there's always good new music. Um, when people are like, there's no good new music anymore. I'm like, no, there is. You're just, you're just not looking and that's okay. You don't have to, but, but there is. Um, but mostly it's just cause I'm kind of obsessive. And so it's easy for me to just like <laughs> follow my strange obsessions into, into new, new stuff. So. So what is it about music that captivates you? So I feel like we, you know, we all have our, our different passions. One of mine is birds, um, but you're a music guy. And yes, you get paid to do it and you get paid to talk to these artists. And I think it must be so much more fun to listen to an artist after you've sat with them for an interview and kind of heard some of their story. Um, but what is it about music that draws you in and continues to draw you in? Yeah, I mean, there's not the easy answer and the cop-out answer is I don't know And if I could pinpoint it, it wouldn't be interesting anymore, right? Like if I could like boil it down, um, I, 
interviewed a songwriter one time who um, he he wrote his own stuff that's really great, but he he had covered a Prince song for a recent you know album at that time, and I was asking him well, like well what do you learn when you get in the middle of a Prince song you know how do you what does that teach you about songwriting to have to learn what he did and he kind of told me and then he said but you know there are some songs I don't really ever want to learn because I'm afraid if I learn them. Um, it would take the magic out of them for me. And he was like Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen is one. He's like, I don't want to know too much about it. And I kind of feel that way about music sometimes. Like if I think too much about it, it might not be magical anymore. Um, but I guess the answer that I can come up with, a long way of getting to the answer is, I mean, we're all always looking for something transcendent, right? And music so easily transcends. Um, I think it's because maybe it's an embodied art form. You know, I love, as you know, I love writing and reading and and that means the world to me. I love standing in front of a painting and kind of thinking about the colors, but like music gets in your ears, it gets in your body. Like you have to experience it as a whole person. Mm. Um, so I think just like, as we're always looking for something to kind of transcend our feelings or transcend our reality or circumstance or whatever, like music can get there pretty quick. Um, there's also music for every mood, like every way that you want to feel or not feel, (laughs) you can find a song that will help you get to that place. And so I think just that embodied emotional content. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, but, but I can't quite put it into words, you know, (laughs) like all good things, right? You ask someone how they fell in love and they're like, well, uh, right. I can tell you the story, but it doesn't really capture it. Um, yeah. And I think that's the same thing with music is like, um, and then I don't want to, I'll sound really high-minded through this whole conversation. I mean, I have like dumb pop songs that I love that, you know, are just fun and there's nothing, you know, I'm not like transported to some new spiritual place when I listen to them. Um, but yeah, that's like the best of what music does, I think, right, is mm. takes us a little bit beyond ourselves, but also kind of more fully into ourselves, I think, mm. Um and anything that can do that, uh, that is, you know, safe for you, I am, I'm all for. So <laughs> within good boundaries. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so in your opinion and the, in the opinion of your journalistic self and your transcendent self and your poetic souled self, what makes a good song? I mean, if you had a scientist on here, they could tell you like, here's the beauty of these chords working together or whatever. Um, I think for me, it's just anything that, I mean, I think we overuse still to this day, like the word authenticity, but anything that sounds like it, I don't know, anything that sounds, a song that sounds like it matters to the person singing it makes it a good song. I think most of the time Hmm. Um, now I've heard, you know, on, church uh, stages and special music and stuff, songs that clearly mean something to somebody that did not sound good. Um, They're up there having an experience and the audience is suffering. The Lord has given them the song (laughs) and they should maybe give it back. But, um, (laughs) but no, I think like most of the time, if you can tell that it comes from a real place of, you know, pain or passion or joy and, you know, I, I love songs that are really technical um, musically, but I love songs that are really just raw. And, you know, I've, I've literally had arguments with my wife, who's a classically trained musician, about Nirvana and like, well, his guitar is not in tune. Well, that's not the point. And, you know, kind of going back and forth. And so, I mean, yes, like some level of technical proficiency matters, but I don't think that's it. I, I really think it's just something that 
comes from a real person's life that then touches your real life. And you realize like, oh, this, this is, these are words and notes for this thing that I have experienced. Um, so just that, that transfer, I think of, of um, like human experience and authenticity really matters. Hmm. I read somewhere, came across it in some article that Toto's Africa is the perfect song, like beat wise and, yeah. and like, I, I might have it is, it is my favorite song. Um, but that there's just something like scientifically about that song that, that connects with people. And I'm, I'm all for it because that's a great uh, song. Yeah. It's so beautiful. But then like, I, I actually, um, it's really funny. It's kind of a long story that I won't I won't take to get there, but like I played that song for my son the other day for, for reasons I had, I was like, I was trying to show him something and uh, you get into the lyrics and he's like, I'm going to mess them up now. Cause they're not in front of me, but like, you know, I'm trying to cure what's deep inside frightened by this thing that I've become. And you're like, Whoa, man, like this is an eighties pop song. We didn't have to go that deep that quickly. And so I love that with that song. Cause like, it is, it's beautiful. It's technically good, but then you get in the middle of it and you're like, there's a lot more going on here than, um, you know, the, uh, the cheesy eighties music video would lead you to believe. And so I think that I like that about music too, that there's like with good music, there's always, even if you've heard it a hundred times, there's always something in a song to kind of like experience in a fresh way. Um, whether it's, you know, deep lyrics from Toto or something else. Um, so yeah, I, that's, that's, it might be the perfect song. Who knows? <laughs> and and that's something I so appreciate about your work, both your writing and just the way you interact on social media is you have this real generosity of spirit where you're looking for the best in people and you're looking, okay, this is a silly 80s pop song, but if you do dig a little deeper, there's there's something here. You point us toward curiosity and discovery and openness, whether it's a new song or a Mary Oliver poem or a budding artist. You write with this sense of wonder that I don't see in journalism very often. Journalists tend to be a cynical bunch, and they have many reasons to be a cynical bunch. The world is burning. Uh, but where does your hope come from? I think... Well, one thing I'll say really quickly as an aside is that I think journalists are oddly hopeful people mm -hmm. um, in the sense that like they, I think you have to believe that something could change to do this job. Um, and if you don't, that, you know, you wouldn't do it. Um, but journalists do have 10, most of, I, I'm an arts journalist. I spend 99% of my professional life writing about beautiful things made by nice people um, mm -hmm. that, that don't make anybody mad. Um, and, and I definitely have witnessed the gallows humor kind of a survival uh, mechanism in, in, in fellow journalists um, throughout the years. I don't know. For me, though, like, I, I I do try to believe the best about people, and it's really hard to do that sometimes. And I feel like it's grown increasingly hard over the last, like, half decade or so. Um, I I find myself doing it less and less, so maybe this is this is a good reminder as I talk this through with you to, to do it more. But... Um, I don't know. I, I just think that there are all these things that conspire little things and big things on a daily basis to like rob us of what makes us feel human. Um, and I want to just find the stuff that connects us back to it, you know, whether that's music, whether that's a conversation with somebody, um, whether that's activism that somebody's doing, whether that's, you know, a book, I, I just want to find those things. And so I think that I don't, I don't know. I can't answer for you. Like, where does your hope come from? Like, where did it start? But I think where it comes from on a daily basis is like being renewed by what I see other people doing, um, being renewed by 
seeing them connect to their own humanity. And that reminds me that it's possible, you know, and even if I don't feel very connected that day, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, I know that can happen because I saw this person experience it. And so I can hold out some hope and some faith that it will happen for me again, maybe tomorrow or next week or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think hope is, it's kind of a renewable resource in that way, but it, it can only be renewed, I think, in proximity to beauty and to goodness and to, you know, other souls that are, you know, going through something. Um, so that's, I mean, that's why I write about art. That's why I'm near it constantly. That's probably part of the reason that I am like almost obsessively listening to music all the time is because I need it. You know, I, I need it to keep me feeling connected to myself and connected to other people. Um, and I think if I ever, I mean, there's beauty and solitude and silence and I have those moments too, but I think if I ever like, just like completely pulled, you know, pulled back and unplugged from like art and literature and music, uh, I would probably shrivel up pretty quickly. So that's how I feel about the birds. Yeah. And yeah. I, and it, yeah. And I love that. I love that. It's, it's not all the same thing for everybody. And I think that that's something I've had to learn. Like you, I appreciate you saying, I don't, I don't know that I always live this out, but like the generosity of spirit or whatever, like, I think, you know, I grew up uh, again, kind of in kind of like record store music snob culture. And I think like, especially even in my twenties still was very much like, Oh, you like that? That's, you know, there's a black mark on, you know, on your record kind of thing. Um, but now I think whether it's art or something else, like, you know, birding or anything, like, I, one, I don't have the time, like life is too short to be judgmental about what other people love. Mm. But secondly, I think there's something really beautiful, beautiful about seeing someone else come alive, whatever it is. And I think that experience is trans transferable, whether it's your thing or not. You know, if, if I, as I like see you posting and really excited on, you know, on social media about the bird that you saw, like, I'm like, ah, yeah, that's like a real, what a cool moment for Courtney. And like, it does a little something in me too. Like, there's just like a tiny lift there. Um, and I just don't want to, again, like I could wall myself in and not be a part of that. Even though, even though it's not about me, but I could wall myself in and not be a part of that. But why do that? Like, why, why, why live that way? You know? Um, I don't know. So I just want to, I don't know. I just want to be around aliveness, whatever form that takes. Hmm. I love, I love that description just to be around, around aliveness. That's a, there's a, there's a call for each of us in that, I think. And to not, you know, rain on someone else's parade if they're really into fill in the blank, Minecraft, trees, fly fishing. Our friend, our mutual friend um, that we both know through social media, Sam Juan, um, always talks about don't yuck someone else's yum. And I just like, yeah, like I'm not going to be into Minecraft um, and like, we all have taste, right? Like we exercise our own personal taste. We like some things better than other things. It's not like we're trying to flatten it all and say it all is the same thing to us. But again, there's so many things that are trying to rob us of our joy and our spark and our life. Mm -hmm. And if somebody else has found something that's actually like healthy and beautiful <laughs> and they find it there, why, why deny them that? Why make them feel lesser for doing mm -hmm. that? That's just like, we all need each other to kind of just cheer each other on and be like, Hey, that's cool. Not my thing, but I'm so glad that you're happy. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I used to be more that way and I don't want to, I don't want to live that way anymore. So you were the guy from high fidelity. 
I wanted to be. And then I got older and I was like, these guys are actually really sad and lonely. And I don't want to live like that. <laughs> like that, my, my perspective on that particular book, which I still think is a great book and film, um, has changed like with each decade where I'm like, oh, these guys are the best. Huh. This is interesting. I didn't notice this before. Oh, these guys are living really sad lives. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want that for them and I don't want that for me. So like everyone in college reads Kerouac and thinks this is the good life. And then you grow older and you're like, oh, this is about despair. Like (laughs) this is a cautionary tale. I literally am writing. I'm not joking. Like, um, uh, I write a, a column most weeks, not every week for Fathom magazine. And, um, my, my lead into this week's column that I started last night is about Kerouac and about how I, I really think I have this theory that you should not read Kerouac until you're in your thirties or forties, mm. because when you're in your twenties, you're like, Oh, cool. Let's hit the road. Let's do this. And I think when you read him now, I'm like, Oh, he is actually shining a light on a lot of empty things. But then also like you read his stuff now And I see a lot of like gratitude for small things in his work that is about, oh, this tree is beautiful or this like, you know, this thing in this person's barn is beautiful. And it's not the like chasing girls across America that's beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I I, I said something in this column about how you should read Wendell Berry in your 20s, Kerouac in your 30s and 40s, and you will be a balanced person. But if you do it the opposite way, you're going to have a lot of reverse engineering to do, and that's probably not going to be good for you. So, oh, I love that. And and thank you for putting in a plug for, for Fathom Mag. Eric is a regular columnist. I'm an occasional columnist. I need to be more of a regular columnist than I am. But if you don't know Fathom, the tagline for Fathom Mag is deeply curious. And so they publish poetry and essays, and it all has this posture of, of wonder and curiosity and interest. And it's well worth checking out, especially Eric's column, which is called The Discontent. Yeah, if you find my ramblings on this podcast weirdly charming, uh, that is place to find more of them. And if you don't, I would like to think I am much better on the page than uh, on a microphone. So we all need a little editing, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, Eric has given us a wonderful gift on this podcast. He has put together a playlist to go with this episode of the podcast. It's called Bird Songs by Eric Danielson. Eric is spelled A-A-R-I-K. Bird Songs by Eric Danielson. We cannot play the songs on the podcast or we will go to podcast jail, but you can find that pod, the playlist. You can find it on Spotify. I will link to it in the show notes. And we're going to pivot now and we're going to talk about some bird songs. You promised us a tour of birding songs. You put together this fabulous playlist. Where should we begin? Well, so I think um, one thing I really appreciate, like the chance to think about this, because um, if I can like set it up for a minute, like I, it, it got me thinking about like, why do songwriters write about birds so often? Like what's, what, what is the the motivation there? And I think there's a couple of things that I see and, and this will be um, evident through some of these songs as, as folks listen to them. But I think just, first of all, there's an identification with birds, like birds sing, I sing as a song, you know, as a songwriter and kind of thinking that through. But I think also, and, and I'm sure you've talked about this in certain ways in your own work and, and you know, with people on the podcast, but like birds are this kind of symbol of freedom, right? Like they can fly, they can go where they choose and they can do these things. And, and so I think birds often stand in either for, um, the songwriter's desire to be free or the feeling that they're not free um, and wanting to follow that. And then even thinking about, and maybe we can start here, you know, kind of a, a very well-known song like Blackbird by the Beatles. 
he's talking about, McCartney's talking in that song about how the bird is free, but also fragile, right? There's a broken wing and it needs to learn to fly again. And so birds kind of being this, this really beautiful, I mean, a symbol, but a real thing um, in songwriters' minds that, that, you know, they're fragile, but they can be free when they're most themselves and kind of identifying with that and wanting to be that. And so, um, you know, I love that, that song in particular. I, I said something yesterday on Twitter about how, I mean, I've heard Blackbird, I don't know, hundreds of times. Like, I mean, my dad played the Beatles growing up and all of that, but like, that's a song that you hear it. And I feel like every single time it's, and it's only a couple minutes long, it's maybe two and a half minutes long. Um, but it kind of staggers me a little bit with just the warmth in it and the gentleness. Um, and just kind of, I mean, you really do, I don't think Paul McCartney was doing this, but like, you can really picture him sitting with an injured bird and just being like, Hey, I want you to be able to fly again. Let's, let's nurse you back to health. And I think so many of us can identify with that feeling either needing to be nursed back towards, um, flight and freedom and all those things or wanting that for somebody else. Um, and so again, yeah, like a bird is a bird is a bird, but also not just a bird, (laughs) um, in these songs. Um, but I can, I can talk about a few more. Um, I, I want to make sure and leave space if you have anything that, that you wanted to say about that, but no, yeah. it's just, it's a beautiful song. It's yeah. a song that kids connect with. It's a song that older people connect with. I, I need to, I don't know the call of the blackbird well enough, but I'm going to use my Merlin app later and see if the bird songs at the end of blackbird are actually blackbirds or if it's just stock bird song. Cause often, especially in television shows, they just almost always will put in the sound of the red tailed hawk and they're <laughs> showing a swallow or they're showing, and, and like it drives birders absolutely bananas. Yeah. So we'll have to check that, that out. That's a really good question. I, I, sh- I feel like as someone who's, I'm not a Beatles expert, but I'm certainly like have, have dived in over the years to like Beatles ephemera. I feel like I should know that, but um, yeah, I'd be curious to find out too. Um, another, I guess kind of, I'm, I'm just going to kind of hop around this playlist a little bit, but um older song, but one that's really been striking me lately um, is, and it, and it hits that again, that example of, or that idea, idea of freedom is, uh, is Leonard Cohen's bird on the wire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this might be one of the great opening lines in, uh, <laughs> in pop music history. Um, he says like a bird on the wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think just that longing, that desire to be unfettered. I mean, why, why, why did we want to fly? Why did man want to fly? I mean, I think some of it is, you know, dominance and wanting to like, you know, uh, make travel easier and all these things. But I think so much of it is like, we just, we wanted to be birds. Um, we wanted to do what the birds could do. And, um, there's such a a melancholy to that song. Um, Hmm. it's a very sad song, which I love very sad songs, but, um, (laughs) they make you happy in a weird way. Oddly, or at least make me feel more, uh, acceptably sad, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, I just, that idea that, that you could, um, try in your way to be free and it's, it's not as easy as, as being a bird. Um, I find that pretty fascinating. Um, there's another category of song on this playlist, a couple in a row, um, that talk about mockingbirds, um, and just the idea of, of kind of either stealing the song or just repeating the song that you've heard. Um, a songwriter that, uh, I mean, I feel like a fair amount of people who listen to this podcast will have some association with, um, although his, his work has changed so much of the years over the years. So it probably, um, people probably have uh, different feelings about, but, uh, Derek Webb, um, song that's probably like 20 years old now, I would need to check, but, 
um, called Mockingbird. And, and he talks about the idea of being a mockingbird, having no new song to sing. Um, and then he says, and I'm like an amplifier. I'll just tell you what I've heard. Mm-hmm. And I think there, um, again, is that artist's identification, right? With the birds and saying in a, in a, in a low point, maybe creatively, I feel like I'm just repeating myself. I feel like I'm just repeating what other artists have said before me in a better way. You know, I don't have a, I don't have anything new or original to say. Um, but I'm just kind of, kind of keep sounding this song. And I've certainly felt that way before. I'm sure that you have too. And, um, I also think sometimes about how, uh, I think every writer, I've come to believe that every writer only really writes about one thing. Um, and, that thing may take very different <laughs> um, expressions and it may be bent in very different directions over the course of their career, but they, they only really write one thing. And so there's something about this web song that I identify with where it's like, I don't always feel like I'm saying anything new, but all I, all I really, the only work I really have to do is just to keep singing in a sense. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Um, and then that pairs really well with um, one of the great, uh, voices of our time, Nico Case. Um, I included mm. one of her songs on here called Magpie to the Morning. Um, and unlike most of these songs, she at least sprinkles um, the names of a few birds through the song. It's not just one bird or one kind of bird, um, but she does talk about mockingbirds singing in the middle of the night. Um, and she talks about uh, the mockingbirds stealing their song from the whippoorwill, which I think is kind of a fun mm. line. Um, and she says, he stole them from the whippoorwills and the yellow little light. He sings them for you special. He knows you're afraid of the dark. Um, and again, I just, I really love that because it's, it's music as consolation, but it's music from the birds um, as consolation. So um, yeah. Do you want me to hit a few more of these or? Yeah. I, one of the things I loved about the playlist was you covered so many different artists and genres and you know we got we got a peacock song in there and we got uh cheryl crow which just made me laugh because it's it's cheryl crow right like you you're also getting the artist name that's got a bird name uh, no taylor swift though but there there are a lot of artists that have last names that are that are birdie um it wasn't intentional i don't want to offend the swifty crowd so you're not i mean they'll come after you you got to be careful with those those folks i'm really nervous now that we brought that up <laughs> No, but I, I so appreciated the the breadth of the songs. I was I was listening. I've been it's been on repeat in my house for the last twenty four hours, and that is one of the things that I so appreciate in following you is you're not a one lane uh, journalist. Like we only cover rock, or we only cover jazz, or we only cover you know. There's this real. It was a, it was a music it was a musical education for me in a playlist. So yeah, let's hit a couple more. Yeah. Um, well, one. Uh, let me mention at least. I'm going to mention three more if that's okay. Um, one, again, kind of going back to that idea of freedom, but kind of from the negative side. Um, one of my favorite bands of all time is, is the band Old 97s, which um, if folks don't know them, they've been around like a good 30 years, but I feel like they're one of those bands that is, uh, you know, the as, as the uh, music journalist phrase that I'm obligated to use, they are criminally underrated. Um, I've never heard of them. Yeah, from Dallas, Texas. Great band. Um, uh Credited sometimes, I don't think they would maybe take this uh, honorific, but credited sometimes with either inventing or kind of furthering the genre of alternative country music. So it's, uh, you know, kind of classic country mixed with rock and roll. And um, since you haven't heard of them, I will give my 32nd uh, Old 97s lesson here, which is uh, Rhett Miller is their their, their uh, singer and songwriter at the, at the heart of the band and one of my favorite songwriters in the world. Also, 
um, have been fortunate to interview him a couple times and seems like one of the loveliest people on the planet. Um, but they've got a great song, um, that is kind of looking at, uh, the bird's freedom from, from the other side it's called bird in a cage. And the, the main line, and then this is very indicative of, of Rhett Miller songwriting because it's always kind of melancholy, but also funny at the same time. And, and the main chorus is, uh, I may be a bird in a cage, but at least it's your cage. And mm. I, I, I like, um, you know, he's obviously kind of talking about, uh, you know, some sort of romantic relationship and this idea that, well, if I'm going to be confined, at least I'm confined by you, you know? Um, and, you know, obviously there are much um, deeper and darker explorations of the bird being caged. You know, we think about like Maya Angelou's writing and, and folks like that, but um, I just kind of love that little twist on it. It's like, yeah, you kind of fenced me in, but I like you. So I guess if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be locked away, I'm glad to be locked away by you. Um, another one that I really love that's here. Um, and, and she just, um, passed away recently. Um, it's, it's a Fleetwood Mac song that is a, a showcase for, you know, everybody loves, and, and I do too, everybody loves Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham, but I'm a real Christine McVie guy. I think Christine McVie is just one of like the, the great, like luminous voices of her time. Um, and her song songbird, which has been covered by everybody, Willie Nelson and all kinds of people. Um, one other thing that I, kind of noticed and thought about again in these, in these selections is this idea that birds have kind of these like secrets that they keep, that they, that they are kind of the seeing ones, you know, they, they literally have this like thousand foot view of the world and they have kind of this ancient wisdom. Um, and this is, you know, kind of a sad, beautiful love song and the line in it where she re really refers to birds is she just says, and the songbirds are singing like they know the score and I love you, I love you, I love you like never before. And I just love that idea that like the birds, the birds are singing because they know that she's in love. You know, they know how she feels and they, you know, they, they were able to see it maybe even before she did. Um, mm. And just that idea to me is, is really lovely. Mm. Uh, and then the last one I'll touch on, um, I did <laughs> just kind of want to uh, run down a list of artists, a very, very short list of artists that have, um, birds in their name. And so, uh, those songs may have nothing to do with birds, but there is one by a bird named artist that does talk about birds. Um, and you know, we've all gotten used to the meme on social media. I still love it. I can't, I actually, this is one I can't get enough of, um, uh, from the Quentin Tarantino movie where Leonardo DiCaprio is pointing at the TV screen because he sees himself on TV. This is an early version of that, uh, of that meme. Um, the band counting crows, um, off their, their really popular debut album, uh, August and everything after close out that record with a song called a murder of one, which is already kind of clever because it's thinking about a murder of crows. Um, but it's the, it's the one moment in their career that I know of that they, they say their own name in the song. So it's kind of them pointing at the TV screen. Um, but there's this great, beautiful lyric that Adam Duritz writes. It's a little bit longer, but I'll, I'll read it if that's okay. Um, he says, I dreamt I saw you walking up a hillside in the snow, casting shadows on the winter sky as you stood there, counting crows. I'm pointing at the song. Um, one for sorrow, two for joy, three for girls and four for boys, five for silver, six for gold, and seven for a secret never to be told. There's a bird that nests inside you, sleeping underneath your skin. When you open up your wings to speak, I wish you'd let me in. Hmm. Um, there's an earlier moment on that record in the song rain King, which probably a lot more people have heard than a murder of one, um, where he says, 
I think I'm going to get this right. I've heard it so many times I should have it right. But he says, when I think of heaven, deliver me in the belly of a black winged bird. Hmm. Um, And it's just really interesting on that record that he uses birds as kind of this, the symbol or this idea of almost this like beauty that is hard to access. Um, you know, he says to this, this woman, presumably in, in this song murder of one, you know, when you open up your wings to speak, I wish you'd let me in. It's like, he can see her as this beautiful bird, but there's this distance between them. Um, and in rain King, he's talking about, you know, if I'm going to get to heaven, get me there on a bird. Like the bird is what can take me there, you know? Um, and I just, I don't know, I can't quite like puzzle that out, but I just love kind of the imagery of like birds as being, beautiful and free and able to help us transform our lives, but also a little bit unknowable and a little bit mysterious and maybe hard to access. Um, and I think, I don't know how birders feel about this. Um, but I remember my son who's nine now when he was like three or four, he would like walk around in our front yard and, um, you know, try to like sneak up on a bird and then the bird flies away. And he looked at my wife one time and he just said, it's the greatest thing he's ever said. Um, he said, mom, how do I make friends with a bird? Like I really, he really wanted to know, like, how do I do that? And, um, I feel like these counting crow songs are just like a much more complicated, <laughs> uh, grown up version of asking like, how do we make friends with a bird? Um, mm. how do we, how do we connect to each other? How do we access this beauty in our lives that, um, that we see, but it feels like it's kind of off in the distance. So, um, there are more songs, uh, on the playlist. There's Prince. You have to put one Duff's cry on the playlist. Um, there's iron and wine. You have to put iron and wine on the playlist. Um, the birds are there. The literal birds are there. <laughs> um, but those are just some of the ones that really, uh, as I was piecing this together, just really kind of, uh, cracked something open for me. So, Mm. Well, it was, it was such a gift. It feels like this, this podcast comes with bonus gifts. Um, so I will link to that, po- that playlist. You can find it on Spotify. It's called Bird Songs by Eric Danielson. Um, yeah, I, I so appreciate you sharing these songs and your perspective and your interpretation because I, one of the fun things about this podcast is I interview ecologists and ornithologists and biologists, but I'm also interviewing poets and artists and journalists because I think we we are able to understand birds from multiple, multiple, multiple different angles. And how a songwriter experiences and understands a bird is is another layer to how birds are. It's not just, you know, molt and wing beats and ounces, right? Like we we can learn it scientifically, but we can also learn birds artistically. Yeah, I love that confluence. And I, you know, people talk about sometimes like the, um, the truth of accountants and the truth of poets. And like, I feel like whenever they talk about that, they're often pitted against each other. But my response to that is like, yes, please, all of it, like the truth of, you know, the truth of uh, ecologists and the truth of songwriters, like, we need all of that colliding together to get a better look. And there's also, by the way, um, on this playlist, the only instrumental song, uh, the great Charlie Bird Parker doing a song called Ornithology. So if that mm. doesn't get you excited about the playlist, I don't I don't know how to help at this point. So. Oh, and I m- misspoke earlier because I was calling him Charlie Peacock. That's a totally different artist. Charlie Bird Parker. <laughs> on there, now that you say that, um, I may go in and kind of edit the playlist from time to time. Um, Charlie Peacock is actually one of my favorite <laughs> artists. He's great too. I might feel silly now that I didn't put him on there. So I may sneak, uh, depending on when people hear this, it, it may already be on there and you'll be like, what were they talking about? But You're going to put a Taylor Swift song on there just so the mob doesn't find you. We'll see. <laughs> 
If I express my bird freedom, I might just be rebellious about that. (laughs) I respect it. I respect it. Dealer's choice. Well, Eric, thank you for the the musical tour and the musical gift. In addition to being a journalist, you're also an essayist and a poet. And I've asked if you'd be willing to share one of your pieces. I have no idea what you're going to share with us. Uh, One or more, actually. But if you'd like to share an excerpt and tell us a little bit about your writing. And you can find Eric's writing on his website, which I believe is ericdanielson.com, Danielson with two E's, Danielson, yes. and um, two so, A's, two E's, there's a lot, three A's, I don't know, I'll, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, spelling <laughs> is hard, um, but also he, I've lost my train now, spelling is hard, um, really is. please, will you share some of your writing with us as well? Sure. If I haven't talked enough, that's uh, as long as you're okay with that. Um, so I thought I would grab um, just an excerpt from a piece. It uh, doesn't have anything to do with birds, but it also could because you're, you're, I'm giving some reasons for something in this piece and your reasons could be birds. Um, I will say, uh, I, I picked this because it's one of the more meaningful things I've written recently. Um, I will say this piece, I don't reference it directly, <coughs> excuse me, but um, in, in this excerpt, I don't reference it directly, but in the piece, um, I deal with talking about uh, suicidal ideation. So if that is something that is particularly challenging for you at this moment, um, I'm sure Courtney would agree with me that um, I'm totally okay with you skipping ahead a minute or two on the pod um, and doing what you need to do for yourself. But um, I, I, this is a piece I wrote for Fathom um, for my regular column there. And I started out thinking about um, just some difficulties I've had over the last few years with mental health and and ideation. Um, and then I, I kind of go a little bit further into the essay to start talking about the theological concept of the harrowing of hell, um, which is something that, um, if you grew up nondescript Protestant, like I did, um, you were probably kind of encouraged not to think about, (laughs) um, but the idea that, that Jesus, uh, went into hell, descended into hell on Holy Saturday to retrieve souls, um, before rising again on Easter Sunday. And I still don't know a lot. I feel like I don't know enough about that idea, but, um, in the essay, I kind of, this is a long setup, but I kind of explore it through art about it. Um, lots of painters, especially, uh, around the Renaissance ages, um, depicted Jesus in various ways. Some of the the paintings are very grotesque and you see like, ah, that's what they thought a demon looked like. Um, some of them are really beautiful. Some of them are both. Um, but anyway, very long setup to say, once we reach the point in the essay that I'm about to read, um, I've, I've explored all of that. And then I start talking about what the harrowing of hell, um, maybe means to me. So, um, you can read the whole thing at fathom, but, uh, here's kind of the middle of this, this essay. I cannot sketch the metaphysics of what God does or quote you any Bible verse, but sitting among these images, parsing the somehow of my survival I know the harrowing of hell goes on. And despite sturdy words from great preachers, I look around and see how God has kept me in this world by causing me to fall in love again and again with the things of this world. Beauty may not save mankind in some cosmic once and for all sense, but perhaps it saves us one at a time. Consider how the trees rise over Forest Park in St. Louis like cathedral spires hemming in our prayers, yet offering them an opening to the heavens. Or the way Eddie Davis's breath through a tenor saxophone, the tone transmitted from 1958, ushers me behind the hidden hidden curtain of my own heart, makes me feel as if there is more sound inside me than I will ever fathom. Before knowing they existed, lines of Charles Simic's poems 
and the moon-glazed sky over a John Atkinson Grimshaw painting waited for me, begged me to stay. Think how it feels to hold my breath, anticipating my favorite line of dialogue across three seasons of Twin Peaks, then exhale as Garland Briggs voices his truest fear and mine, the possibility that love is not enough. Or to enter a concert photograph by my friend Savannah and actually experience music as wave and color. There's something about showing up every day for the group chat that I'm in with Sam, John, Ian, and John, and tracing the features of vast national parks across illustrated maps with my son. He longs to visit Arches and Glacier Bay. I want to cross over into campground at Olympia and Grand Teton. My son disorients and disarms the very powers of life and death. On the day he tells me unbidden that when I die, he will inform the funeral home I want to go to heaven. What words can honor the way my wife's arms lace my neck, drawing me into a kiss that becomes red, orange, yellow light than the end of all matter? Yes, when I want to live, it's because of jazz and poetry and touch and incidental comments. But these aren't just people, places, and things. My soul flirts with Sheol, and these hands take turns reaching me. They lift me up and out enough to gulp the, er the air that earth provides even if I can't always make out the lights of heaven blinking, beckoning. Hmm. It's not good for a podcast to have dead air. And also I just kind of want to let that hang <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> oh, I, I loved that column when it came out. And I love that that's the one you chose to, to read for us. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to do this, but I, I feel like it, I mean, it just goes back to a lot of stuff that we were talking about before and um, mm. needing to stay connected to that humanity. And I, I again, I, I don't want to over explain it and I don't want to ruin anything, um, any feeling that might be lingering in the air, but I just talk about how all of those things are hands that harrow for us um, and it's yeah. different for everybody. And um I feel like whether it's music for me or birds for you or, or something else for somebody else, there's, there's always something uh, reaching for us and trying to keep us here. Mm -hmm. And I, my faith is in kind of a weird squishy place at the moment, but I feel like I have faith enough to think that those things come under, come under the, the eye of God. Like he, he is aware and, and is in some way ordaining that those things do what they do. Um, mm. and so anyway, that's, yeah, I don't need to, it's like explaining a joke. If you say too much about it, <laughs> it's not interesting anymore, but no, but there's, there's something there to, to God sending us messengers that we are able to hear in seasons where we may not be able to hear in the traditional way or in the traditional voice or by sitting in the pew or, you know, I, I talked to a lot of folks on this podcast about church hurt or things that they've been through where just worship is hard for a season and, and God, God meets them in other ways, in conversation and poetry and in birds, there's something yeah. there. I feel like my life, I mean, I've, I grew up Protestant my whole life still, still am, um, though I have deep, deep, like mad respect for, um, our Catholic siblings, but, um, I feel like my life is more sacramental right now than it's ever been. Mm. Um, and that's like the literal sacrament, like of the, the supper every week, but also just like the stuff around me. Like I, 
whether it's a season or whether there's just something wrong with me, I don't know, but like the, the traditional means, um, aren't working so well at the moment, but I have not lost faith because I feel like there are like literal and figurative, uh, is that right? Literal, whatever. Anyway, there are breadcrumbs everywhere. <laughs> sometimes it's the real bread. Um, mm. Sometimes it's other stuff. Um, but that's mm. kind of, yeah. There's another answer to where does the hope come from? I just, there's, there's, uh, there's breadcrumbs. Mm. I think all the time, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have the book in front of me, but the Anne Lamott quote of how ideally at its best church is just a giant hospital where those of us who are more or less okay for now take the tenderest possible care of those who aren't. We feed them crackers and juice and we wait for the healer to come. And I yeah. love how she works in the sacrament there, right? Like it's not just crackers and juice. It's it's crackers and juice. It's body and yeah. blood. It's and that that sacramental connection that I think tethers us to the natural world in a way that we've often lost and forgotten. That it's not just, you know, Protestants are just words, words, words so much of the time, but words alone are, you know, they they disappear into the ether. Yeah. And I'm I mean, I'm clearly a word person and I feel like I need other stuff. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. As you were saying that, I mean, uh, talking about Alamot, like I mean, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is all in my head, but I feel like people kind of look at me side-eyed sometimes because I'm like, oh, everything is grace and everything is holy and blah, blah, blah. The world is beautiful. Well, and they're like, you know, aren't some things sacred and some things secular? And I I probably, my opinion that those things aren't real categories, Probably, I probably take it too far sometimes. But like, what if Blackbird is a hymn by the Mm -hmm. Beatles, right? Yeah. Like you just said, like, uh, those that are doing okay for the moment, take tender care of the other people. I mean, that's literally what that song is, is like, I got just enough to sit and hold you and say, I want your wings to mend and I want you to fly. Like that's, that's holy. That's how we're supposed to treat each other, no matter where we're coming from or how we're connected to each other. And I don't know, I just, it's hard for me not to hear that and be like, that is, and I think people on, like, I think, you know, if Paul McCartney was here to be a much more interesting podcast, but if Paul McCartney was there, he would look at me and be like, that's not what that song's, you know, it's not, it's not a song about God. And people who are Christians would look at me and be like, that's not a song about God. And I'm like, it's absolutely a song about mm. like the things of God. Mm. Um, why can't you see like, that's, I, that's, I'm like, why can't you people see that this is what this is about? Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, um, that's a, a whole different conversation, but, um, yeah, I, I think those things are more closely related than we think they are. So mm. it's, it's a good word. It's a good word and a good thing to to ponder and explore. So I'm going to end. I gave you questions in advance. I did not give you this one. So here it comes, Eric. What is your favorite bird? My favorite bird. Okay, so this is aspirational. <laughs> we talked about this before we got on, Mike, um, that I, um, I see lots of blue jays and cardinals. Um, and I don't see much else around my neighborhood, or at least I don't recognize them. So you texted me a photo of a red winged blackbird once. So don't sell yourself too short. You know, at least three species of birds. And I I bet you can find a crow if you know all the crow songs. I know crows. I know robins. I'm aware. I'm aware of owls. Um, (laughs) Well, my favorite birds are like all aspirational. Like I really want to hang out with some indigo buntings. 
Um, and then I think, I don't know, see, I don't know the whole thing on this and people are going to be like, what, who is this guy on this podcast? Um, but I know there's like some really beautiful poetry about starlings. I think starlings are supposed to be annoying in some way, but I'm like, Hey, they're in poems. They're cool birds. So, um, I, I don't know. I don't, ha- I don't know what my favorite is, but I really want to hang out with some indigo buntings on some starlings. So. Perfect. I love it. I respect yeah. it. Yeah. Starlings. The cool thing about starlings is they people do say they're kind of garbage birds and and you know t- <laughs> yeah. take that as you will. Um, but and they're black. But if you look closely, they have like the whole constellation on their back. Like they're they're that's beautiful. The but you yeah. have to get close. Yeah, and that's the that's the they're like a poetry bird. I want to hang out with the poetry birds. There's also um, a base. This is really going in a different direction. But there's a baseball <laughs> player that I love right now who's playing. He plays for the New York Mets. That's not my team, but I like him. His name is Starling Marte. And I'm like, if starlings are so bad, why would they name the guy after him? Because they must be cool. So I'm maybe a, there's like a little starling reclamation project I want to. Totally. That is your next essay assignment. I want I want you to work a starling in there somewhere. That might be a while, but sure. <laughs> oh, well, Eric Danielson, thank you so much for the gift of your time and your musical expertise. Just a reminder to our listeners, there will be a Spotify playlist called Bird Songs put together by Eric for all of us to enjoy. It is a, an absolute delight. Highly recommend. I will link to all of Eric's social media, his website, and also his Fathom columns in the show notes. Uh, but check out his writing. It's, it's really... It brings me near constant delight. When I asked him to write the foreword for my book and he said yes, I did a very serious happy dance around the house. My husband was like, what's happening? And I was like, Eric said yes. He's like, well, I knew he would. And I was like, I didn't know he would. He's a busy guy. I didn't really have anything else going on that week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Eric, thank you for the gift of your time. Yeah, it's good to see you. Thank you. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Oh, your soul. Yes, it does.